This interview of Wisdom from the Top was recorded in 2019. From Luminary Media and Belted Productions, it's Wisdom from the Top. Stories of crisis, failure, turnaround, and triumph from some of the greatest leaders in the world. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, the story of Strauss Zelnick. Well, the chairman had previously been indicted. The CFO was under investigation by the authorities. The company had not filed financial statements for some time and fired their auditors. And they were under investigation by the um, SEC, the IRS, and the New York DA's office. They'd, they'd won the trifecta of government investigations. How Strauss Zelnick built his own private equity empire by turning around one distressed company after another. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So turning around a company in crisis is the ultimate test for many CEOs. It's almost like a military officer who prepares his or her entire life to fight a war. You don't necessarily want it to happen, but when it does, doing it right requires harnessing the power of every lesson you've ever learned. Now, there are definitely CEOs who live for crisis turnaround scenarios because these are the biggest professional challenges they will face. Think about Dan Hesse at Sprint, who found out the company was on the fast track to bankruptcy on his very first day as CEO. Or Hubert Jolie, who took over as head of Best Buy in 2012, just as Wall Street analysts were preparing for its funeral. In both cases, the stakes were high. If they failed, the companies would fail. But if they succeeded, which they did, everyone around them would want to understand the playbook. For a leader, that kind of challenge can turn into one of the most fulfilling moments in their entire careers. And this is why Strauss Zelnick not only lives for crisis, he actively seeks it out. In 2001, with an initial investment of $300,000, he founded Zelnick Media Capital. The idea was to find companies in distress and turn them around. Today, ZMC manages billions of dollars in assets. But running a private equity firm wasn't part of his original plan. Earlier in his career, Strauss was a Hollywood wonderkind. He was in his early 30s when he was running 20th Century Fox. It was the culmination of a lifelong dream to run a Hollywood studio. I know from my earliest memory, I wanted to be in the entertainment business. <laughs> and I came from a family where we weren't allowed to watch television particularly. 
and I, and I and we didn't even really go to the movies. So I'm not sure where that idea came from. I think I must have had some sense that it was um, a whole lot more glamorous than than Boston, Massachusetts. And and when you when you thought about the entertainment industry, like you're done with Harvard Business School, you've got a law degree. Like, are you thinking, I want to be a writer? I want to be a director? I want to be in that part of the entertainment industry? Well, you have to roll the clock back a little bit more. I had a re- I was a musician growing up, and I thought I was going to be a singer songwriter, hmm. and um, and I was a singer songwriter, just not a very good one. So the the good news is I I had uh, had the presence of mind to be honest with myself about that. And um, by the time I was a sophomore in college, I I came to the realization that the only person that really liked my material and my um, performance was me. And at that point, I decided I'm really interested in creative pursuits. I'd always had this interest in the entertainment business. Maybe I should turn my attention to the other side of the camera. And in fact, I wrote an essay in my law school yearbook in which I basically said, I want to, I want to run a studio hmm. when I get out of here, um, which was kind of a bold thing to do, but it was what I wanted. Hmm. Which eventually you would you would do so, um, and not, not yeah. It worked. I suppose it's better that it worked out that way, right? <laughs> right. Otherwise, it'd just be sort of a permanent embarrassment. So you start working in the entertainment industry. Um, we're going to fast forward to to 1989. You are 32 years old. You become the president and COO at 20th Century Fox. Um, I mean, a, a huge responsibility at such a young age. How did how did that happen? I. Been president and chief operating officer of the largest independent, which was called Vestron. And the first picture that I greenlit at Vestron became the highest grossing independent film of all time. What was it? Uh, Dirty Dancing. Oh, wow. And and then went on to have, you know, a bunch of uh, misses and some other successes at Vestron. And um, when Joe Roth was named chairman of Fox... Joe and I had had a relationship because he had produced Young Guns and Young Guns 2 for Vestron, and we'd gotten to know one another well. He was looking for a number two at the studio who would be responsible primarily for the business operations. So he reached out. So um, I think it never would have happened but for the fact that Joe came from the independent film world, and I was head of the largest independent, and it was serendipitous that I was looking to move to the next thing about that time. Hmm. When you got to to Fox Film, you're 32. It's a, it's a company with 1,200 employees, I think, at that time. It's doing $2 billion in revenue. Um, was, it, was there anyone, like, in the C-suite who, was, who sort of looked at you and thought, who, who, who's this kid? Who's this young guy who's now my boss? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think that was a pretty commonly uh, asked question, and it was an interesting challenge. I'm uh, sure. But I... I remember being mindful that that would be a question that was posed. So I did my best to um, to work hard and equip myself effectively. I'm not sure I actually I'm not sure I actually did it first. I mean, I think I had a pretty challenging entry at Fox. Well, why was it challenging? Because I think I'd I'd been so accustomed to being firmly in charge at Vestron, um, I hadn't really appreciated that. The independent world and the major world were two very different worlds, mm-hmm. and that my experience in running a, a large independent wouldn't be seen as particularly credible in Los Angeles. And I probably didn't do as good a job of listening and developing relationships initially. I, I sort of hit the ground running, and I didn't really recognize it 
um, I would be seen as an outsider, which of course I was. So I learned all of those things the hard way. When you say the hard way, I mean, was it like sharks swimming swimming around you, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Did you go in with a, I'm assuming you went in with a sense of humility, right? You weren't going to go in and start pounding your fist and telling everybody what to do because that would have been worse. I'm not sure humility was my strongest suit hmm. in those days. Hmm. But there's nothing like nearly failing to help you develop a sense of humility. So, and I nearly failed. What happened? Well, I, um, I really got initially sort of frozen out of the process. Luckily, I had um, really tough bosses. And uh, there, were, there, were, there were more than one, including Barry Diller. And, uh, you know, they brought, they brought me up short and gave me very, very tough feedback. And I had the presence of mind to take it very much to heart. And then I got lucky in a way. Um, one of the pictures we were working on sort of went off the rails and went, it went over budget. And um, What was the movie? Die Hard 2. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone got very concerned. And um, my, uh, my boss's boss um, and the ultimate head of the company, Barry Diller, um, uh, had a meeting with me and, and my boss, Joe, and said, uh, hey, <laughs> what's going on here? And I said, you know, honestly, I really can't say because I really haven't been terribly involved. And um, Barry said, well, how can that be? Isn't this your job? And yeah. to his credit, Joe, Joe said, uh, well, sort of the way things have developed, Strauss hasn't really been in the loop very much. And um, we need to probably do more of that. And so Barry sort of uh, said, okay, well, kind of let's do that. And we agreed to do that. And I was able to um, turn around a number of the relationships. But it, undoubtedly, um, I was also helped by getting a bit more uh, backup from Joe and Barry at that point. Well, what was it that you were that you were doing? I mean, it sounds like you are kind of looking back at this time and, and thinking and saying, you know, how could I have operated in that way or behaved in that way? But I'm trying to figure out what it was. Was it just... I don't know. Were you were you short with people? Were you arrogant? Were you brusque? Like what? What were I you? I think all of the above. What is that in the multiple choice question? Like D, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think the honest uh, the honest answer is not listening enough. And and I learned this on my my entry to BMG years later. You know, when you're new to a system, um, any system, it almost doesn't matter at what level. You know you. Your best approach first is to stop and listen, develop relationships, show respect, um, express humility even if you don't feel enough humility. You know, as I've gotten older and more experienced, I, I feel a whole lot more humility, but, you know, at least at least act it if you don't feel it. Now I genuinely feel it. You know, the older I get, the less I know, not the more. Mm. Um, and, and develop, you know, connections with people and understand that the quickest path to the right decision may not be, you know, linear. In, in certain instances, it may actually be quicker to meander a bit if, if that helps you develop relationships and learn the, you know, learn the uh, table setting. And by the time I left, I had a lot of, you know, great relationships. Probably the best thing that happened is, you know, I, it worked out for me despite my very rocky beginning. And I learned really important lessons that I was able to apply elsewhere. You, so you leave 
uh, Fox in 93 to join a startup called Crystal Dynamics. It's a, um, a video game company out of, I think, out of Redwood City in, in the Silicon and Palo Valley. Alto. Palo Alto. Yeah. Um, and just starting out. And, um, and, and I guess they probably gave you an, a stake in the company and they needed you to kind of manage or sort of help scale it, right? That's, they, they needed somebody with your background and, and experience, I guess. Well, maybe. Um, they, I don't know if they needed someone with my background. For sure they need to scale it because they had zero revenue. Um, and uh, I was granted uh, stock options, and I also bought a lot of stock. In fact, I, I invested my entire net worth in the company, to be exact. So you're there for – you end up being there for a little over, the, uh, a, little over a year when you get a call from BMG – to, uh, to to be the president and chief executive of the of, of North American operations, um, I'm, I'm assuming when you got that call, you you thought I can't pass this opportunity up. I've got to do this. Well, actually, I had gotten that call before I left Fox. They, they expressed some interest, but I'd made a commitment to go to Crystal, mm-hmm. and so I said, uh, "Listen, I made a commitment uh, to do this thing. I'm really excited about the video game business." They said, "Great, you can start a video game company for us. That's fine. We'll put up all the capital." And I said, well, that's really lovely, but um, I've made a commitment and I'm, I'm have to live up to it. So they said, um, well, that's okay. We'll wait. So they kept the spot open <laughs> and would check in with me occasionally. Um, and uh, they were true to their words, actually. They started a video game distribution business. And um, after almost two years, but not quite, um, they reached out and said, okay, we really think you should do this now. At that point, Crystal was off to a great start. It had real revenue. And um, I thought it was a good time, and I thought, well, what I really want to do is build and run a diversified entertainment company at some point in my life. Probably a good idea to get recorded music experience, especially because this was the golden age. This was after the launch of the CD, but before it had peaked. So it looked to me like there was great opportunity, and so I went to BMG. Huge German-based company, um, and... uh, you know, obviously a big opportunity. But so what were you sort of tasked to do to, to, to change that number to obviously to increase sales, I guess? Well, I mean, look, you know, the RCA label, which was a, sort of a, should have been the flagship, but certainly was not, had been losing money for a very long time and had no, really no presence in rock and pop, had a pretty good presence in country and a, and a growing presence in rap and hip hop. Um, every other division of the company except its direct division and Arista Records was losing money, was losing mm-hmm. a lot of money. So there's an immediate need to stem the bleeding. So that was my job. And the first job was really turning around RCA Records. It was known as RCA, the Record Cemetery of America. And of course, I knew nothing about the record business at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I, ran, I ran as part of my portfolio at Fox. Fox Records reported to me, but that was a soundtrack label. What kind of pressures were you dealing with as the you know as an executive at this company well i mean the biggest pressure was turning rca into a profitable hit making machine and um you know they didn't they didn't have any records you know except as i said for country and hip hop our first job was to see if we you know there was anything there um, yeah. so i i i went around and um saw all of the Basically, everyone who worked at RCA in New York, I just went from office to office. And, and each office, I would say, so play me, um, play me the unreleased artist that you like best. Because we had very limited marketing funds, and we had to decide if there was anything that we could get behind. Remember, this is back in the days when there was a powerful A&R business in recorded music, and when you did radio promotion, and you had to break a, an artist on the radio and the like. 
very different today, but sure. that's how it was done right. then. It was really the old-fashioned record business still. And uh, so I went from office to office, and everyone kept playing me the same song. The song wasn't a traditional format, wasn't a traditional length, didn't have a traditional hook. I couldn't figure out what radio format it would fit on, and I, I didn't hear it. I was really kind of stymied, but I, I noticed that the entire team only played me that artist and only played me that song. Hmm. So we had a, called the whole group together, and um, I said, look, and I, look I've, I've told everyone that we're going to try to run this business based on people's passions for what they're doing, and we have a very limited amount of money to spend on marketing, and we don't have a lot of artists to get behind, so we really have to choose our best shot for our next artist. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to put all of our marketing behind that and put all of our emphasis behind that. That's the record that we're going to focus on. Hmm. And uh, that was Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. Um, and that, that was his first big hit. Wow. And um, we were off to the races. And so you, you thought, I don't hear this, but everybody said, this is the guy. This is going to end. And this that was a guy. huge record, right? Was it a huge record. It was also a highly credible record. It looked like everyone was, you know, you really looked smart for getting behind such an, a unique artist. And that led to signing a whole bunch of other rock acts. That led to signing a bunch of pop acts. And next thing you know, the... The label was on fire. Wow. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. All right. So BMG, obviously the company is doing very well under your leadership. You become um, in 98, I guess, the president and CEO 
of BMG Entertainment, which is the I guess the, right, the, the whole, whole thing, thing worldwide. worldwide. Yeah. Um, At that point, we were number two in the market. We'd had record profits basically for a number of years and record market share. So we were in great shape. I'm curious because BMG was was part of the the German company Bertelsmann, right? And I mean, you were running worldwide operations. And, and so I imagine there were, there were like huge cultural differences between the German corporate side ran the company and, and the American side or the U.S.-based operations. I never felt that way. The philosophy at Bertelsmann Corporate was um, we hire entrepreneurs to run our businesses. We give them a lot of latitude. Mm. We compensate them based on the results, which they did. And we try to you know support them and get out of their way. And you got to play by the rules, but uh, you know, you're left to run your own business. It's your business. And that's exactly what I was looking for and exactly how I felt. And I was um, really grateful for that opportunity. I also I learned German. Huh. So um, they didn't ask me to. The, the company conducted business in English, but I thought it was a respectful thing to do. So I started getting um, German lessons the first week I was there. And by year two and a half, I could you know, I could understand a whole lot and I could speak sort of kind of and well enough to conduct myself in a board meeting in German. Hmm. And that helped because I think not because anyone was thrilled with my German, but that it showed that I, I was respectful of the enterprise. Um, so I, I had, uh, I really enjoyed working there. I learned a great deal. I had the best boss ever in Michael Dorneman, who was, you know, quietly, very quietly, critical when necessary, and most of the time just totally supportive. So it was, a, it was actually great. And I'd had a six-and-a-half-year run there, of which I was really proud. And I'd really reached a point where I thought, maybe this is the moment where I can go off on my own and try to start this multi-billion-dollar media company that I've dreamed of starting. So, okay, so we're, we're going to get to the multi-billion-dollar part, but uh, 2001, <laughs> you leave. Certainly wasn't, no, wasn't that, that in the beginning. <laughs> um, and you found a essentially a private equity firm uh, called Zelnick Media Capital. Um, and what, 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 what was the idea? What was it going to be? Well, originally we, we thought, it was Ben Fetter and I founded the firm and thought we would find a company of scale to buy or take over and build that up into a diversified media company. Much, much the way, sort of in the, in the uh, pattern that Barry Diller ultimately did with IAC. Right. Barry Diller, uh, your old boss at Fox, he, he would go on to create the, the huge media company, IAC Interactive Corp. That's right. So we, we started off and we're running around looking at companies to buy. And what we find pretty quickly, in addition to having this minor problem that we didn't have any capital. Yeah. How much did you have? We, I financed um, ZMC with $300,000 of my, my own money to, you know, hire some staff and get some offices and buy computers. But to buy companies, you need millions of dollars. You need lots of money. Right, hundreds of millions. So what did you guys do? We developed relationships with big suppliers of capital, private equity firms and other capital providers. And we would go look for companies to buy and look for people to put up the capital. And then we tried to somehow marry the two, which proved to be a very difficult exercise. Sure, yeah. (laughs) So we found pretty quickly, we thought, look, it's going to be really hard to find something of scale to build up in a singular way. So maybe what we should really do is look for somewhat smaller deals. We'll finance each of them separately. And our diversified media company will be ZMC. Uh, and that's exactly what we did. So we started to buy companies. And what was the first company you bought? 
The first we took over was a public company called Columbia Music Entertainment. I really didn't want to go back to the record business. They had a 0.5% market share. And what kind of artists did they did they have on their label? Columbia Music was a Japan-based independent uh, record label. So this was like RCA, Redux, in Japanese wow. um, many years later. But oh, so only Japanese artists? They had only Japanese artists. So first of all, I'm just curious, how, how do you even find out about a company like that for sale, like a Japanese record label that's distressed and is for sale? Like, There's probably no advertising for something like that. No, it wasn't advertised. I, it was brought to us by um, a private equity firm at the time called Ripplewood. I, mean, I was familiar with Columbia because when I was in the record business, you had to know everything that was out there. Mm-hmm. And this was while small and failing was, you know, sizable for an independent. It was a public company as well in Japan. So I was familiar with it. It was exceedingly troubled. Um, and um, I got a call from Jeff Hendren, the partner at Ripplewood, and he said, hey, have you seen this thing? And I said, I'm familiar with it. It's a terrible mess. I don't think you want to touch that. Remember, this is a one I'd already decided. I'd already voted that I didn't want to be in the record business anymore, that business was going to run into a lot of hard times. And uh, so I said, Jeff, look, I don't think I really want to do records anymore. And this company is beyond troubled because it was, you know, a troubled company in Japan can be propped up by the banks, and it was. So... I said, you really should stay away from this, and we, we will as well. He called me two weeks later. I was at home. I remember it was around dinner time. And remember, this is now in May of '01. Jeff called and said, look, we're really serious about this. We really want to do it with you. We think you're perfect for it. You have domain experience, and we really think you should do it. And I said, you know, I just think it's a, a really tough situation. <laughs> I really advise against it, and we're not going to pursue it. And he paused, and he said... Strauss, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, just how busy are you? <laughs> I said, uh, so, well, you make a very good point. I'm not so busy. He said, I really think you should do this deal. I said, you know what? You may be right. And so we said yes. The deal closed in September. Can I can I just pause and ask you this question? I mean, he's, he's sort of, they need your expertise because you have industry experience, right? So they need that. You have no money. They have the money. They want you to run this thing or to kind of put this, take this as part of your portfolio for your new company. But essentially, they really need you to kind of be the turnaround guy here. Is that is that more or less right? Am I on the right track? As it turns out, yes, you have that exactly right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they would put it that way or even I would, but I think that's how it turned because, out. Because, yeah. right, but and in exchange, they would give you a chunk of the company, I guess, right? That's right. In, in return, we get some equity. All right, which, would, which if this thing worked, would mean that you would then have money to go off and buy your own thing next, you know, without, right? Right, to build up the enterprise, right, right to create a balance sheet, and that's exactly what we did. All right, so you take this, you take over this company. Now you become the CEO of this? No, I was, a, I was initially the chairman. Okay. And I, I hired a CEO who I'd known from BMG days, a Japanese CEO. But I spent a lot of time there and worked very closely with him. And so what did you guys do? To, because, I mean, you've got this failing company. I mean, how do you take a failing company that's been losing money for so long and, you know, make it worth something? Well, the first is we had to right-size the company with 1,350 employees, and we, we shed them down to 350. We sold all the non-core assets and generated some cash and paid down some debt. So we immediately stemmed the, you know, the bleeding, and then we started signing artists, and um, we managed to have a really big hit artist within about nine months. A, a, a Japanese pop singer? Yeah, Japanese pop singer. 
Um, so we, that was our first big hit, and I believe it or not, I've forgotten the name of the artist. Then we had a bunch of others in succession. So we're doing really well. We did a secondary offering with Lehman Brothers. We um, were beginning to, you know, get somewhat of a reputation for for Zelnik Media. And then Jack Matsumura uh, suddenly died. The, the, the CEO of Columbia. Yeah. Mm. And um, he was a friend of mine. It was terribly sad and sudden. So um, I was actually supposed to go on vacation, and I, I don't cancel family vacations, but in this instance I did. I got on a plane, I went to Tokyo. Uh, the board named me CEO, and then I was CEO for almost a year until we found an excellent replacement CEO Wow! and continued to build the company from there. So you, you effectively, I guess, moved to Japan for a year to run this thing. No, I commuted. I commuted, but um, I was there a lot. And And so it was a combination of getting rid of these assets and then just kind of getting lucky with some artists that that became hits well i've got i've had that kind of luck over and over and over again in my career and i I attribute it to um having enormous respect for talent and seeking the very best people to do the creative work at whatever enterprise i'm at and then being supportive um in their pursuit of what they care about and wholly supportive yeah and and then I don't take credit for what they do, uh, you know, as I haven't. I, I don't I don't pick the hits. I'm curious when you. I mean, I've I've read this about you. You've said my talent is finding talented people. Is finding real. I just have a really of a knack for just identifying great people to run companies and to work with me, or to and I just kind of let them go. You know pursue their creative vision so what do you what is it that you're looking for is it just an instinct is it something you just you just know because i have to imagine you have made mistakes everybody you can't always hire the right people right i haven't made many of them believe i mean i made zillions of mistakes in life and in business but not in hiring i have made those mistakes as well but they're few and far (laughs) between and with regard to creative folks almost (laughs) never and what do i attribute it to look first of all these people are i'm not plucking them off the street corner they have track records and they're all known. We're looking for the very best. These are all highly experienced people. Um, so I, I pay a lot of attention to what they've done in the past. And then I have, I have a sense of, because I've learned to listen with empathy, um, of really getting to know who they actually are, what actually drives them, what they actually believe. We also then create an environment where we give people the financial support and the emotional support to do their best work. And we not only encourage them uh, to pursue their passions, we insist that they pursue their passions. Hmm. And if we don't sense passion for something, we just don't pursue it. So once once you sort of went through that with Columbia, you know, finding a CEO who was successful and then tragically passes away and then you take it over and then the company really does turn around and, and become profitable, did you kind of, I don't know, did you sort of think, I love this, I love this turnaround business. This is what I want to do. I want to turn companies around. Oh, you know, I definitely thought of ourselves as a turnaround shop at that point. And we went on to do other deals. Right. So you you would eventually buy Lillian Vernon, which not not a lot of people remember, (laughs) but um, it was a catalog that sold like clothes and and housewares and jewelry. And and I guess when you bought it, it, it was losing almost $20 million a year. And then you bought Time life, and they were losing like eighty million dollars a year yes, they were, yeah. in two thousand three. When you bought them, can you explain like when you buy companies losing twenty or or eighty million dollars? Like why why is it like? I mean, obviously it worked out well, but why is that a good decision to make? Well, it all depends on the price tag. 
So um, in, in that event, we had an idea for building a diversified direct marketing company. By buying both of them, we were able to reduce the fulfillment and back-end costs for both companies meaningfully. And we had a sense that both could be turned around. Uh, Lilly and Vernon was a much tougher situation and ultimately wasn't especially successful, although we did generate a small return, but Time Life was immensely successful. We sold that to Reader's Digest. Wow. So you, you buy Time Life for probably a good price, I guess, right? No, it was very modest, yeah. So modest price, and and then you take over their debt and, and the, the whole business? Is that is that how it worked? Yeah, we took took it all, the whole thing, yeah. And so what did you do to, to restructure it? Well, again, we I think when we inherited Time Life, we got like 20-some-odd offices. We cut that down to five offices. I think I want to say it was about twelve or 1,300 people. We cut that down to about 300 people, stemmed the tide of uh, losses, and then launched a bunch of successful products and turned it around very quickly. That was a very quick turnaround. It was profitable our first year of ownership. So 07, let's talk about 07. Uh, the interesting opportunity is a company called Take-Two Interactive. This is a company that does uh, that makes Grand Theft Auto, huge video game franchise. Uh, and they're in a crisis at that at the point. What was going on with the company in 2007? Well, the chairman had previously been indicted. The CFO was under investigation by the authorities company had not filed financial statements for some time and fired their auditors. And they were under investigation by the um, SEC, the IRS, and the New York DA's office. Mm. They'd, they'd won the trifecta of government investigations. Um, company was losing a great deal of money, as you said, had one huge hit franchise in the Grand Theft Auto franchise. A lot of uh, great creative folks. Really nothing else. Its sports business was losing a lot of money. Um, so so did the founders of this company, were they looking for a buyer? Well, the founder was gone because he'd been indicted. <laughs> so, so how did they come onto your radar? Well, it was a public company, um, and we were in the business of looking for opportunities. But Carl Icahn called me up and said, do you know this company called Take-Two? And I said, I do, but been in the video game business before. I don't know that I want to do it again. He said, well, you should really take a look at it. And so we did and realized there was an opportunity to take the company over. And that's it took us about nine months, but we did that. So you take over this company, you got to restructure it, and and now this is your company. It's still a public company, right, to, to this day. Yes. Uh, but you guys are uh, you're running it, and so what do you what do you do? I mean, you've got this great franchise in Grand Theft Auto. Uh, do you literally go into the company and say, let's make, you know, let's start making these specific types of video games? Well, you know, the first thing we did once again was try to cut costs. We right-sized the company. We set out to turn around the sports business and build up, build up that business. Uh, we um, restructured the 2K label group and um, helped them embark on new projects and helped them work on the projects they already had in process. And we developed a relationship with the folks who run Rockstar Games and tried to be supportive as they built their products. Why was the company losing so much money? before the takeover. Too many people, a lot of failed products. Here's what I'm wondering, because obviously there's super creative people in that company and they were making amazing games and ahead of its time, but was it is it was it just a management problem? Was it just bad management? Yes, by definition. So what, what explains that? I mean, I, I, I do, <laughs> I, I interview a lot of founders, right? It sounds like maybe this is a case where the founders just weren't able to run the company. Well, I don't want to be disrespectful to, to the team that came before me, but, you know, clearly, you know, from, from what I told you, there were a lot of missteps. And um, 
because they included legal missteps. Um, but at the end of the day, the story of you know our successes, such as they've been, have all been about you know creative management and how to bring out the best in a creative enterprise. How long did it take for you guys to to turn Take Two into a profitable business? I mean, 2007 is losing 200 million dollars. Five years? How long? How long before it? I think it, it took it, about three years, um, is wow. my recollection, before we were profitable for the first time. And 2010 had a very good year, uh, then had another good year, then had a bad year, and since then we've been profitable, is my recollection. And and all of that really begins with the same playbook, right? It's it's shedding assets, it's figuring out what's not valuable or worth worth keeping anymore, and uh, and kind of restructuring. Is it, is it does it matter whether it's a video game company or a record a Japanese record label or? Uh, you know, a, a tchotchkes catalog? Is it the same playbook, more or less? It's very similar, and in creative enterprises, it's a very similar playbook with the, the proviso that you have to listen carefully to understand the different leverage points that exist in any given business hmm. uh, because they do vary. And I think um, there's, there are commonalities where, you know, non-core assets have to go, you can't be overstaffed, and then there are differences, and those are those sort of leverage points I just mentioned, hmm. and you need to learn those quickly. So, uh, obviously, it's very clear that you modeled Selnick Media Capital off of your your mentor and and you know one of the people you really admired, Barry Diller's sort of IAC and how he built that, and and you really did build that. My understanding is you are still the executive chairman and I believe CEO at Take Two. Is that is that right? I am. So how do you do that, but also run Zelnick Media Capital? I mean, how do you have the time to do that? That's what I mean. You know, I, th I, I rely on thousands of incredibly talented people every day, and um, I don't do all the work. In fact, I'm fond of saying I'm not sure what work does get done in a C-suite, um, but, you know, the, the, the work gets done by the, the teams that manage the ZMC enterprises and, and run Take-Two day-to-day. And hopefully I have a meaningful hand in the strategy and the culture and very important decisions. Um, and um, other than that, you know, we have great people. I'm a big believer in delegation with information. I'm allergic to the words, just do it. If you say those, you may get what you want in the wrong way, and the wrong way can be very dangerous. But I do believe in hiring the best people and empowering them to do great work and then staying in close touch to help them solve problems um, if they need your help. And, um, and to encourage them and to be a sounding board without judgment. Um, I'm sort of shrink in chief of the organization. So you started uh, ZMC with $300,000 to uh, get this office going and it took you six months to get a deal. And that, that worked out well, but then you had to make the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. Uh, what is the, how big is that portfolio today in, in, term, in, terms of its, uh, in terms of assets? Assets uh, broadly, including everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It depends on the market, of course, but probably $16, $17 billion. Wow. Are you all still constantly on the lookout for new opportunities, or have you kind of focused on, on the portfolio you have? And, and oh, no. We're always buying new companies. Always in entertainment and media? Uh, media very broadly defined in communications. So how, how big do you think this thing can be? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm more focused on making sure that we do really great work, and I think scale is somewhat less important. 
um, but there's plenty of opportunity. So if you were to, if I were to ask you about your leadership style, you, you mentioned listening, delegating, not micromanaging. Do you think that you learned how to be a leader? Or do you think you were born with some of those those skills? Oh, I specifically was not born with leadership skills. I had to learn them all. And I'm, I would not present myself as the best of, of anything, frankly. Um, you know, I'm a hardworking person. I'm not defensive with criticism, um, reasonably intelligent, and I'm, I truly love what I do, and I really care about other people um, and, um, and have a goal in mind. I'm, I'm laser-focused on a goal or a set of goals. Um, I'm not trying, you know, to become the um, richest guy on earth. Uh, I, um, I'm, I have a vision for continuing to build what I hope will be the best collection of digitally driven media assets on earth. And, um, you know, where we're at now is a good start. That's Strauss Zelnick. He's the CEO and chairman of Take-Two Interactive, as well as the founder of Zelnick Media Capital. By the way, we didn't talk about this, but Strauss is also an expert on wellness. In 2018, he wrote a book called Becoming Ageless, The Four Secrets to Looking and Feeling Younger Than Ever. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. The music for this episode was composed and performed by Drop Electric. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to Wisdom from the Top from Luminary Media and Built It Productions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.